then before we begin, let's cultivate our motivation and place what we're about to do within the context of being of service to other living beings. And so let's do that by thinking that we're going to learn about ourselves so that we can become kinder people, so that we can let go of our anger and jealousy and confusion. And that we want to do this for the purpose of making a positive contribution to other living beings and to society and to the world in general. And so in this way, even though we may be sitting quietly or listening to teachings or something like that, in the long term our motivation is very broad and encompassing. And in that way, the present activity will lead to that goal. In your eyes and your meditation. Okay. So many of you are new today. I'd like to welcome you. And many of you are old. <laughs> some of you are new in age, and some of you are old in age, and new in Dharma, and old in Dharma. Anyway, we're all the same. Because basically we all want to be happy and we don't want to suffer. All the rest is just kind of superficial, arbitrary stuff. Okay, and so the topic for today is, is about uh, cultivating altruism in bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is the aspiration to attain or enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. But that uh, the altruism and the bodhicitta, they all rest on... The, this basic idea of living beings being the same in wanting to be happy and not wanting to suffer. And that's something I think that it's not terribly difficult to understand intellectually, yeah? but it's very different to understand it in here. You know, we can kind of look around the world and, you know, we can see, yeah, everybody's the same. They want to eat food and they don't want to be hungry and they want to have a safe place to live and they need health care just like we do and they don't want to live in a war zone and they want friends and they want to feel good about their lives and be able to, you know, earn a livelihood and uh, have good relationships with their families and you know, when we look around the world, it doesn't matter what nationality or ethnicity or religion or socioeconomic class or anything like that that somebody's part of. These, you know, are very common uh, wants uh, that, that everybody seeks. So, you know, that that's easy to understand. And when we look at it very, you know, in general, it's like, yeah, we're all exactly the same. But then how come when we meet somebody 
that we don't like, who does something that we don't approve of, suddenly that understanding is out the window. You know, what's going on? How come that homeless person in the street, I want to be happy and, you know, have a place to live and this and that and the other thing. I don't think so. They're just worthless scum. You know? Or how come, you know, the very, very wealthy person, oh, the person wants to have food. They have so much anyway. Why don't they share some with everybody else? Yeah. Kind of, we, we see this, this wish for happiness and not suffering on a very general level. But then when we start looking at individuals, our minds sometimes get so judgmental, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and a kind of the end of the, and if we let the judgment just kind of go, the, the basic conclusion winds up to be that um, actually I'm the one who deserves happiness more than anybody else. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe these people want it, but their happiness isn't very important. You know, maybe they want to be free of suffering, but Actually, my suffering hurts more than theirs. So the world should remove my suffering first. We get to that, don't we? Yeah? It's like we kind of have these fancy ideals, but um, the living reality, when we come down to it, is uh, that we can be quite judgmental and, and very prejudiced. We're, we're amongst friends. We don't need to try and pretend that we're ideal, perfect people. Yeah. And um, and that the basic conclusion is that I'm the center of the universe. It's just the universe doesn't realize that. Yeah. Which shows how stupid it is. <laughs> yeah. Because if everybody had it together, they would really realize. I really am the center, and my happiness is more important than anybody else's. My suffering hurts more than anybody else's. And everybody should work to give me happiness and make it so I have what I want all the time, no exceptions. And other people, if they're nice to me, then maybe they kind of deserve something nice back. I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating a bit, but I'm also not exaggerating. Do you know what I mean? Some of you who are here for your first Dharma teaching may say, what in this world is this um, But, uh, you know, somehow what we know up here doesn't quite transfer in, into here. It takes a, a long time to get it from here to here. It's not very long distance. <laughs> it takes a long time to get it from the head to the heart. Okay. It's snail's face. <laughs> but I find what, what is uh, very effective for, for getting that understanding from here down to, to the heart level is just uh, to keep on remembering it. You know? You know how in our life, uh, you know, we all have our own little obsessions? 
we, we, we don't count ourselves among people who have obsessive compulsive disorder. But we all have our own little obsessions, you know. We want this and that. What we should actually become obsessed with and think nonstop about is this fact that everybody wants happiness and nobody wants to suffer and they all want that as intensely as we do. Okay. So that same tendency we have to like become obsessed about something, which is usually trivial and stupid and self-centered, we should take that same tendency and now focus it on this understanding. And to use that wherever we are and whoever we're with. So when we look around, uh, you know, I do this a lot because I travel. And so I'm in airports a lot. Airports are fascinating places. <laughs> you know, but I mean, they're really, they're very good for practicing this because you just look at everybody around you. They all want happiness. Nobody wants suffering. You know, and you just apply that. And you just, as you're walking, you know, you're walking down the thing and the TSA employees who... Let your water bottle go through, but make you take out your hand lotion. Um, <laughs> you know, last week I had a water bottle in my bag. I had forgotten about it, and that's exactly what happened. You know, they didn't see my water bottle full of water. It went right through, but I had to, you know, take my hand lotion, my toothpaste out to protect the country. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but just but to really know, I mean, these people are doing their both best, and they're and they're sincere, and they are protecting us, you know, and appreciate that, and they want happiness, and they don't want to suffer. You know? And as you're you're walking down, you know, all the people with you know four or five kids in tow, and you're wondering about overpopulation in the world, and um, you know, and then. Just all the things that go on in, in airports. The airports can be very public places for very private things. Last week I, I was sitting in the plane going home, and the lady, you know, they hadn't closed the front door of the plane yet. So the lady behind me was telling somebody off on her cell phone. A whole plane could hear. <laughs> you know? I just go, you have very short-term memory. You know, for the things you do, and very long-term memory for the things that I do that you don't like. And she's talking, like, so rudely and inconsiderately to this other person. You know, no wonder they don't have such a good relationship. You know, the way she's speaking. And it's like the whole plane is listening. Anyway. um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you, you really see life when it's... Right there, and the screaming babies, and the, um, you know, they, they had an emergency, you know, the, the emergency room, uh, and so there was one lady, she must have been, I don't know, maybe 75 or something, sitting there, and, and 
you know, the flight attendant has to, you know, because they all have to come now and give you their little spiel about, are you prepared to open the door? And it weighs 44 pounds, and, you know, and uh, do you all agree verbally to do this? And I'm going, 44 pounds? I don't wonder if I could do that. And this little lady is sitting there, and, you know, thank goodness she said, no, I think I'd better be receiving. But I volunteered to go. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm cutting the You know? And I gave up. I had an aisle seat on a flat plane, and I went to a middle seat. But actually, this was very good because it was repaying a time many years ago. When somebody asked me to change flights, and I said, change seats on a flight, they could sit with somebody, and I said, no, because I didn't want to sit in middle seat. Um, so I was doing my little purification. Uh, yeah, but so you see, it's all very, you know, it's all right there in the airplane, you know, sitting in this packed thing floating in the air with people you don't know. Yeah, with your life at stake. You know, in a stranger's hand. Well, I mean, we trust pilots. I mean, talk about trust. You know, you get on a bus, you get on a, you know, a plane. We trust people with our lives. So you better realize they want to be happy and not suffer, and you better wish them happiness. You know, um, but but it's you know it's a very good opportunity to to practice and to keep remembering this this kind of thing. You know really looking at everybody around you and and thinking about that, you know, in terms of them. So this is also a very good practice, you know, you're walking down the street, or you're standing in line at the supermarket, or at the bank, or at the video rental. (laughs) What are you doing at the video (laughs) rental? You know. And just put, you know, take take that into your heart, and like, oh, all these people around me just want to be happy and don't want to suffer. They're just like me. Now, doesn't matter, you know, their race, ethnicity, gender, sexual preference, socioeconomic class, education level. Doesn't even matter whether they're human or not. You can sit out in the middle of a garden and, you know, you listen to the frogs and the hummingbirds and the wasps and the the mosquitoes and the cats and the chipmunks and the squirrels and the coyotes and, you know, they all want to be happy and don't want to suffer. And you think about that in terms of everybody individually. And it, it becomes um, quite a powerful thing to train the mind with, you know, to become obsessed with, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In other words, to really familiarize the mind with. And if we do that, it really changes our attitude towards other people. Yeah. So when things are happening that we may like or not like, uh, we remember that. I remember Champa um, speaking of somewhere is he right now? Mm-hmm. Well, 
Oh, okay. Too much birthday cake. <laughs> it was his birthday yesterday, and on, on birthdays, the way we celebrate birthdays at Actualosti Abbey is the birthday boy or the birthday girl sits and talks about all the people in their life that they are grateful for, you know, beginning with our parents who gave birth to us. And so he did that. And uh, he said something that caught my ear, because um, he, was, he was appreciating even the people who picked on him when he was younger, because he said he learned a lot from them. And he, you know, he learned sometimes the need to be able to communicate with different people. So I think all of us have been picked on at some time or another in our life. You know, I think that's something that just happens. Of course, we feel like we're the only one who's ever been picked on. But it happens to everybody. And, um, and you know, if, if you have that ability when somebody's picking on you for whatever, to think that person wants to be happy and they don't want to suffer just like me, then it completely turns around the situation of being picked on, doesn't it? Because usually when we're being picked on, the way we conceptualize it is that person has power and they're intimidating me and I didn't do anything wrong and I have no power and I'm scared and I better think fast of something to do to defend myself and get back at this other person. That's usually, don't you think, when you're getting picked on, whether verbally or physically, it's usually what's going through our mind. What's very interesting is the person who's picking on us feeds off that energy. Yeah, they feed off of it. If we instead look at them and think, here's somebody who wants to be happy and doesn't want to suffer. Because regardless of how they're acting and what they're saying and what they're doing, this fact still remains true about them. They still want happiness and they still don't want to suffer. And they're, they're acting in this way because they don't know how to create the causes of happiness and how to avoid the causes of suffering. And so somehow in their confusion, they think that picking on me is going to make them feel better. But the basic thing is they want to be happy and don't suffer. And I can identify with that part of them. So I don't need to look at this person who's picking at me as some other you know, somebody who's other, who's, you know, out there, unlike distant than me, who, you know, should be thrown to hell as fast as possible. You know, we don't need to, to make that kind of way of looking at others. But instead, just realize, oh, they want to be happy and they don't want to suffer. Yeah. Now, what happens if we think that? Mm-hmm. If we think that, the whole that thought can't exist in the mind at the same time as they're bullying me, they're strong, they're picking on me, they have power, I don't. Those two ways of thinking cannot exist in the in the mind at the same time. Okay. So if we're thinking they want to be happy and not suffer, all that other fearful way of thinking you know, it's like popping the balloon on it. They can't be there at the same time. When we aren't thinking 
in that fearful, scared way. But we're looking, you know, and we can actually look at this person in the eye and think they want to be happy and not suffer. Then that, our whole demeanor is going to communicate something very different to that person. And will they still be able to continue picking on us? Maybe not. Maybe not. Because like I said, you know, the the bully feeds on the the fear of whoever they're trying to intimidate. So if we have different energy, it gives somebody a, a different experience. Okay? So it changes our mind. It could even change the behavior of the other person. It changes the whole situation. Okay? So just a small thought. Recognizing somebody else's humanity can be something very, very powerful. Very, very powerful. And I think in our world where um, people are so into uh, forming little enclaves of people who are antagonistic to other people. I mean, you look at, at the whole political race, you know, this presidential election year. And, you know, it's about people forming into little groups and then criticizing the other group. And so much of our our political life is like this. And this is the way journalism writes up stories about two antagonistic groups. I I was so amazed, you know, before... um, when, when Hillary and Obama were, were still uh, trying to sort things out there, um, how how it was described as a race, a competition, somebody won, they were fighting. There was all this battle, you know, they were continuing the battle. There was so much war talk and aggressive talk. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't talk of um, you know, kind of trying to see who could be of most service to the country. It wasn't that kind of talk. It was talk of, you know, my party against another party. Okay, And, you know, so often in, in meetings at workplaces, even in families, you know, we see situations as me against the other person. I'm a human being and they're less than. I want happiness and their happiness doesn't matter. And so I think, you know, realizing this commonality that we have uh, gives us an ability to approach all these situations in very, very different ways. And when we approach things in very different ways, we get different outcomes. So, like I said, instead of seeing things as confrontational, it's me or them, because it's a fixed pie, we begin to be able to look at things as more um, cooperative. Um, For example, many many of you have heard me tell this story, and many of you have probably lived similar stories. When I was a teenager, I didn't always get along so well with my parents. You know, they wanted me to be home early. Why should I? I know how to handle myself. I'm an adult. I'm 16. 
I know everything and more than everything. Uh, you know, um, you know, they wanted me to be home earlier than my friends, and I could go certain places and not other places. And I felt like my parents were being overprotective and not trusting me. And in my mind, the whole conflict was about my family. You know, I wanted to be independent. I didn't want my parents telling me what I couldn't couldn't do. I can take very good care of myself. Thank you very much. Don't bug me. You know, and I thought that my parents and I weren't, weren't getting along because the issue was my autonomy. They wanted to control me. I wanted to be autonomous. Okay. It took me many years to figure out that that's not what the issue was for my parents. Yeah, what was the issue for my parents? Safety, wasn't it? You know? They're looking at this kid who hasn't had a lot of life experience, you know, who doesn't always know what to do and what to say in the proper way, and they want her to be safe and not get into any situations that she doesn't know how to handle. So for my parents, we were quarreling over safety, and they thought I was ridiculously stupid because I didn't want to take care of my own safety. And I thought that we were quarreling over my autonomy and that my parents were ridiculously stupid because, you know, they didn't trust me. And in actual fact, we were quarreling over two different things. If we had realized that ten years earlier, if both of us had realized ten years earlier, you know, we could have maybe sat down and talked and found, found a way in which my need for autonomy and my parents' need to see me be safe could have both been met because they didn't need to be contradictory. Because yeah. there's so many situations in which we quarrel with other people, but actually, you know, it could be possible for both parties' needs to get met if we were open to seeing the situation that way. But as soon as we describe the situation in terms of us versus them, then we've mixed that possibility. Okay. This is one of the first things. If you, if you learn anything about like mediation and conflict resolution, uh, they, they always give the example of two kids fighting over an orange. You know, and if one gets it, the other one doesn't. And so, you know, life is at stake over who's going to get this orange. And it can become very unpleasant. But if they sat down and discussed why they each offered the or wanted the orange, well, one wanted the inside of the orange to eat because they were hungry. And the other wanted the orange peel because they were baking a cake and needed to put orange peel in as a spice. If they had sat down and talked about what they each wanted, then they could have realized that they could have both gotten what they wanted. Yeah. Out of one orange. But when they don't talk about, you know, what their interests are, then they're quarreling over an orange. Okay. 
So all of this comes back to to this thing of respecting other human beings and really considering them, you know, as being similar to us in wanting happiness and not wanting suffering. Okay. From from there, yeah. Um, in in cultivating an altruistic attitude, we we want to move on to realize that, that other living beings are not only equal to us in that way, but they have also been kind to us. Yeah. And this is again not something that we're necessarily used to thinking about others' kindness to us. I mean, sometimes we are. When somebody gives us something we really, really like, then, wow, they're so kind. Yeah. Um, but to, to really think that others have been kind to us in many ways that we have just assumed or taken for granted. And so this is, you know, when I was talking about his birthday yesterday, this is, and the way we talk about, uh, you know, who, who we want to honor in our lives, um, this is another point of looking back over our lives and thinking of the people who have been kind to us, whose kindness we've very often taken for granted. You know, starting with our parents' kindness. Because in in the U.S. now, it's kind of, you know, we're all into blaming our parents. Um, But it doesn't really make our own mind very happy when we blame our parents for everything. This makes us rather miserable. And if you think about it, uh, I mean, nobody's had ideal childhoods. But our parents sure did the best they could. And um, they gave birth to us, and they took care of us. And if they couldn't take care of us, they found somebody else who could take care of us. And the proof is that we're still alive. Because when we were infants, we couldn't take care of ourselves. And unless other people took care of us, we would have died. And, uh, And then we all have our own little stories of how we almost died when we were kids, except somebody came along and rescued us. Uh, I I remember being in India at one time. One of my first teachers was Lama Yeshi. Some of you may have read the book, The Boy Lama. It's about Lama and how he passed away, and then he was incarnated as a young Spanish child uh, who was recognized it's his incarnation. So the, the young child, we called him Lama Osa, um, he was maybe two years old when this event happened. And uh, we were in India. And you know how young kids, they're always taking stuff and sticking it in their mouths? So he had taken something and stuck it in his mouth. And he was gagging, you know, and choking. And, you know, there's a bunch of monks and nuns standing around. None of us were parents. We didn't know what to do with this kid who's choking, you know. And his mom walks up, and she's had three or four kids before him. She picks him up by his feet, hangs him upside down, whacks him on the bottom, puts him down again, and he's fine. She walks off, and he resumes playing. (laughs) You know? And I'm looking at this going, 
that's the kindness of the parents. <laughs> you know? How many times have our own parents had to do something like that? Or somebody's had to do something like that for us. Yeah, because we were choking, or we stuck our fingers a spoon before they have they house proofed. Or no, they say child proofed houses. We stuck our our fingers. Do you remember the days of the the curler, the metal curlers? <laughs> Do you remember the days? Some of you won't. I know they're in museums. <laughs> but we used to use these metal curlers. Do you remember that? And, and so, you know, the little kids used to take them and stick them in the electric socket. Well, you know what happened. Yeah. So, you know, all the people who protected us from getting electrocuted when we did such fancy-dancy things as kids, you know, or when we tumbled down the stairs, yeah, or when, I mean, my classic story, this was my brother, okay, we had a pool in the backyard. My brother was riding his tricycle. Yeah, he was, I don't know, maybe three or four years old. Riding his tricycle around the pool. And he rode off the edge into the deep end of the swimming pool on his tricycle and held on to his tricycle at the bottom of the pool. You know, thank goodness the guy who was cleaning the pool was there and dove in and pried my brother off of his tricycle. But, you know, all these things of how other people have been kind to us. That, uh, you know, that we often just take for granted. And, you know, if we just think about our our own lives, our lives are full of these kinds of stories. Ain't they? And so, and even thinking, okay, kindness for our parents. How about kindness for our teachers? That's another one we have problems sometimes, remembering the kindness of. Um, But our teachers were really kind. I mean, they taught us how to read and write. They taught us basic skills and things that that we use every day in our lives. And even though we weren't always the most cooperative of students, they really tried their best because they cared about us and they wanted us to learn. Mm-hmm. And what we did to our, our um, teachers, we should tell stories one day. <laughs> to sit around and tell stories of what we did to our teachers. Ah, uh, you know. I was a teacher before I became a nun. I know. <laughs> you know, not only what I did to my teachers, but what they did to me. Yeah. But to, to, you know, to really sit back and think about it. Our elementary school teachers, or junior high teachers, high school teachers, and, you know, how people really tried so hard to teach us and to help us to learn and how we just it just completely went over our head you know how we didn't think of our teachers as kind we thought of them as mean making us learn certain things making us do this stupid homework assignment you know read this boring stuff but actually you know their whole motivation was to help us 
and kind of despite ourselves, we did learn something. <laughs> and what we learned actually helps us live our life, you know, in a better way and helps us be happy. So sitting down and actually thinking about these people and, and letting our heart open and, and a feel, feeling of uh, rejoicing and gladness. And then even thinking of the people who worked at the school cafeteria. Okay. Now, I don't know, what, what is school food like now? What, what's it like now? Oh, so terrible. Terrible? Okay, it hasn't changed much. Because <laughs> it was terrible when I went to school also. You know? And, and uh, wasn't it terrible? It was horrible, yeah. The macaroni and cheese, to this day I cannot eat macaroni and cheese. <laughs> because I see it and it just reminds me. <laughs> A Friday. <laughs> and then, oh God, I just, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, all the people who worked at the school cafeteria, you, do you remember them all? They all wore hairnets? Yeah, do you remember? Anybody here work in a school cafeteria? You know, you have to wear hairnets, you have to wear one of those hats and, you know, put on those weird clothes. And then you have to cook the food that you know the kids don't like because somebody else gave you a menu and the people who made the menu don't eat the food. (laughs) But all these people who work in the cafeteria who are really doing their best, you know, and trying to make some food... That, that we'll eat so at least we won't be hungry. And do we ever think of saying thank you to them? Yeah? Do we ever, ever think of saying thank you to the people who work in our school cafeteria? I don't know about you, but I never did. Yeah? So it, it, somehow it's like the construction workers on the highways. Do we ever go out and thank them for fixing the road? Or the people who pick up our garbage, do we ever thank them? So, you know, just looking around in our life and seeing all the different jobs that people do and how, you know, we benefit from their jobs. Even though we like complaining about this, that, and the other thing, still the bottom line is we benefit from the work that these people do and without it, we wouldn't have the things that we use and the things that we need. Okay? And so training our mind to look at others with kindness and instead of keeping such a big list in our mind of all the nice things we've done for others, keeping the list in our mind of all the nice things other people have done for us. Because if we do that, then we feel like we're living in a world full of kindness. Because we are living in a world full of kindness. And we realize that we've been the center of a lot of people's generosity and kindness. And so instead of going through life feeling like we're entitled to 
to this, that, and the other thing simply because I'm me, you know, we go through life with a little bit softer attitude, feeling, wow, I've been the recipient of a lot of people's kindness, and I'd like to repay that kindness, you know, and do something for others. Maybe I don't know the people who were kind to me in the past, but I can do something else that's kind for other people. Hmm? So, you know, changing our attitude like that changes not only our relationships with people, it changes how we feel about ourselves, you know, and how we feel inside. Because when, you know, I mean, after all, we have to live with ourselves 24-7. And if our mind is just sitting there complaining all day, we're not a very pleasant person to be with, and we don't like ourselves very much. Because we're just complaining, I don't like this, I don't like that, how come they treat me this way, how come they don't do that, how come this, why not that, I want this, how come they don't give it to me, I want that, I don't like this, get that away from me, give me this, you know. All day long, we're living with this person who has this monologue like that. Are we very happy living with ourselves? Uh-uh. <laughs> you know. Okay. Whereas if we if we train our mind to to think in kinder ways about others, you know, well, somebody cooked breakfast for me. Okay, it doesn't matter it's not my favorite food. Somebody cooked breakfast for me. That's nice. You know, and these people are cooking food at the, the school cafeteria and I'm eating it. At least I'm not hungry. They're kind. And the cop stopped and gave me a ticket for speeding, and I was, and it was good that he pointed it out, because actually if I had hit somebody and hurt them because I was speeding, I would have felt really lousy. So it's actually quite good, because I'm going to be more careful about speeding now. Yeah. And so if we learn to, to look at the situations we face in life and see, the, see other people's kindness, then... We're a lot happier living with ourselves because we're not listening to that litany of our own complaining mind. Instead, we're listening, you know, to the mind saying, wow, that was very kind of that person to do that. Wow, you know, I depend on that person's kindness, you know, to have the food I eat and I had food and how kind they were. Or, you know, I depend on the kindness of the people who who grow the cotton and who stitch the clothing in order to have the clothes that I wear and how kind they are. And so training our mind to think like that, then in our own heart, um, we feel much better. Our mind is much more peaceful. Because yeah? we're living with, our, with another person, you know, because we've become a different person. So we're a nicer friend to be with for ourselves. So all these kinds of things, these, these shifts to make, they're things that we can do on a daily level, not just day to day, to day to day. Um, but we have to do them consistently and we have to practice them. Yeah? Doing them once or tra- twice, that's not going to set up a new habit. But if we really train our mind daily to start thinking in these new ways, then it becomes much more habitual. And it really has quite a profound uh, effect on our life. You know? And when we see others' kindness towards us and we see them 
as wanting happiness and not suffering, then automatically, you know, we're going to get along with much, much better with others. And that's going to have its own, you know, we'll pay back. We'll experience the result of better relationships with other people. And, of course, better relationships come because we're being kinder. Not because we're like the person who is sitting behind me in the airplane, you know, screaming at the other person that they should have been kinder to her. Because who's going to be kinder, kind to you when you yell and scream at them? No, that technique doesn't work. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I felt like turning around and like, say, you know, you should come to one of my Dharma talks. <laughs> so, you'd be a lot happier because you're miserable. And you're making the person talking to you miserable. And the whole plane is, you know. Um, but, you know, these things can have really strong effects on our life. And they're simple things that we can put into practice on a daily basis. Okay, so there's a little time for questions and comments. Yes. Over or just through your perception of the other person's motivation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is what I've been working on this because it's very helpful. Because mm-hmm. I think this is like everything you're saying is such a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Everything is, and then I see what I'm doing in my mind, and I just think like what's helping me now is to realize that it doesn't matter what I think their motivation is. It doesn't matter what I perceive their motivation is. It doesn't matter what the motivation is. Is it good or bad? I have to actually tell myself that, or else I'm just yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about our tendency to project motivations on other people. Because as soon as as we don't like something, we go to the mind of they're doing it deliberately. Yeah. There's no way you could even know their motivation. Yeah. There's absolutely no way we could know their motivation because we can't crawl inside of them and know what their motivation is. And even if we could. Does their motivation really matter? Yeah? Does it really matter if somebody has a bad intention towards us? Does that justify our anger? Or put it this way, are we going to be happy getting angry at somebody even if they have a bad motivation towards us? Does getting angry at somebody else make us happier? Uh uh-uh. uh. So it doesn't matter if the person has a bad motivation or good motivation. The end result is if we get angry, we're miserable. Yeah? So then your question is how, how do we get over imputing motivations to them? And how do we get over thinking that their motivation actually matters? I think it's basically what what you said right there. We have to sit down and focus our mind on it doesn't matter what their motivation is. Yeah? But what matters is how I respond to the situation. My happiness does not come from their motivation. My happiness or suffering comes from how I respond to the situation. My happiness and suffering comes from my motivation. Their motivation is irrelevant. 
Okay? And so remembering, if I want to be happy, I have to work with my own motivation. And if I get angry, I'm putting myself into a hell realm. I'm not harming anybody else. I'm putting my own self into a hell realm. Okay? So, I care about me. I might as well not get angry. So it's so interesting to look at. Another thing you can do in in your meditation is look at that mind and how that mind that says, I'm going to pay them back by getting angry. You know, and how does that mind think, you know, that my anger is going to make them suffer and pay them back for the nasty thing they did to me and make them change? Because that's what we're thinking when we get angry at somebody, isn't it? Don't you think? Isn't that kind of the, the way our mind is thinking? My anger is justifying. I'm going to hurt them for the hurt they've given to me. And because I hurt them, they're going to realize they were wrong. And they're going to realize that they should be nice to me. And all of this is going to come about by virtue of my getting angry. Okay. So that's how that mind is thinking. And you step back and you say, is that true? Is that true? How many times in my life when I've gotten angry and done and retaliated to somebody else has that other person decided that I was right and they were going to be nice to me? How many times in my life has that technique worked? Yeah? And we ask ourselves, you know, is that true? What my mind's telling me that that's a good technique for getting my way and being happy. You know, let's, let's do a little bit of search. You know, we can be our own, um, what's it called? The, um, yeah, our own investigator. And uh, when they take a, what's it, a poll, you know, you take a, a poll on yourself. How many times... You know, in your experience, has getting angry and retaliated gotten you what you wanted because the other person decided you were right and they were wrong and they were going to be nice. On a scale of one to ten, how many times has that ever happened? Always, sometimes, hardly, never. (laughs) (laughs) And we, you know, that mind that doesn't investigate things, oh, always. But the mind that looks at our our experience, it comes out never. Isn't it? Yeah, it comes out never. So then we have to say, why am I holding on to an attitude and behavior that has never achieved the goal that I wanted to achieve? You know, this is self-defeating. So the other person's motivation doesn't matter at all. What matters is my mental state. And I'm the one responsible for my mental state, not the other person. Because they can't crawl, crawl inside of me and make me feel one way or the other. I'm the one who decides how I feel. The second question in your poll should be, how many times do I change when I was being nasty to somebody and they got angry back? Did that change me? Right. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting question, too, on the poll. Yeah, how often, you know, when, when I've done something somebody else doesn't like and, and that's pushed their buttons and they've gotten angry at me and, been, and retaliated and been really nasty, have I decided that they were right and I was wrong and I was going to be nice? How many times? <laughs> yeah. Like, it would be easy to be kind when you're surrounded by kindness, but uh, to appreciate the bully, in a sense, gives you a challenge, gives you an opportunity for a much more growth than you would have with just, just surrounded by kindness. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Very much. That's very true. Yeah. But when you're around people who challenge you by bullying or whatever, that's the time that you really have an opportunity to practice. And if you take that opportunity and say, I want to see if I can change my mind and do it this time, you know, instead of just, oh, I'm just going to do my same old thing and, you know, get angry and afraid and whatever it is. Yeah? Not me at all, but uh, <laughs> if, if I'm preparing for a Just do at work, or you're getting married, or you know, or yeah, hypothetically, right? <laughs> yeah, or you know, any any number of, of things. You know, how how do you work with that? I think um, I think it's very good, you know, just to wake up in the morning and just to say to ourselves, because I I do, you know, if I'm facing particularly things, you know, on the, on the external things that I have to deal with that sometimes my stress arises, to say, okay, I'm dealing with this situation. I don't have to get stressed out by it, you know. I really don't have to. You know? I really don't have to. It's my choice whether I get stressed out by this. Yeah, I don't have to. And... One, and the reason I don't have to is because actually this situation is not the most important thing happening today. Yeah. In the viewpoint of my self-centered mind, this situation may be 
like life and death. But in view of what's happening in the world, this situation is not very important. Okay? So I find it very helpful to remind myself that whatever stressful situation I, you know, whatever situation I deem as stressful, actually in the big picture of what's going on on this planet, is not such a big deal. So I find it helpful to think about that. And then I find it helpful to think about what other people are experiencing today and the kinds of things, difficulties other people are having. And in that light, the problem that I'm going through actually is quite manageable. Yeah? Compared to the difficulties other people have, this problem I have, I can manage it. You know? Now, you might say, well, what happens if you're terminally ill and, you know, you could be that dying that day? Still, you know, if you compare it to other people's problems, I can manage it, you know. Today's the day I die, okay, I manage that, I just be peaceful, I say goodbye, I dedicate my life for goodness and make prayers, you know, to be able to continue cultivating virtue in future lives and let go and let's just do it. Yeah? So I find that way of, of talking to myself very, very effective and putting my own situation in perspective. Yeah? For a time, I, w- I worked in GSA. Oh. And uh, I thought your comments were very appropriate. Uh, it was a place that a lot of spirits would go through. Mm. Uh, I realized quickly that it was a very unnatural situation for all of us, and nobody really wanted to be there. But the thing that I did realize is that I have a responsibility to assess the situation to take the water really is. And what I finally came to is that about 99% of people are mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can keep it in perspective, it means a whole lot of people Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Okay, let's just sit quietly for a minute. Take this moment just to remember some of the things we've talked about so that you can take them home with you.